This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Do you ever wonder what therapists talk about over coffee? Well, we're three clinical psychologists. Dr. Diana Hill, Dr. Ray Littlewood, and Dr. Debbie Sorensen, and we'd like to welcome you to Psychologists Off the Clock. In this podcast, you'll get a glimpse into the books we read, the research we think is interesting, and the ideas from psychology that we use to thrive in our own lives. Our webpage is www.offtheclockpsych.com, and there you can find resources we mentioned in this episode, as well as other podcasts we've posted. You can also find us on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Hi, Ray. It's so good to see you today. Hi, Diana. It's good to see you too. How's it going? How are you doing there? We're good. It's sunny and warm and beautiful in Santa Barbara. How are you doing in Albuquerque? Well, it's freezing and windy and <laughs> cold. It is sunny. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, staying inside tonight for yeah. sure. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm super excited to talk with you about parenting with awareness and mindfulness today and to learn about what you've um, uncovered in some of your research and then also talk about some of our the practices that we do with our own children. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been thinking about this idea for a long time because, you know, I really, I, I'm really into parenting. I really like parenting. And um, what's out there in terms of advice for parents these days um, mindful parenting is one area that has gotten a lot of attention and there's a lot written about it, just books, magazine articles. And what I've been finding is that um, it's kind of gotten watered down, that mm -hmm. mindful parenting tends to be presented kind of as this list of things to do with your kids that are mindful. Mm -hmm. And what I'm really interested in is why and how does mindful parenting, you know, help the development of your kid? Um, and as a behavioral psychologist, you know, I, I really want to know, um, I really want to be sure that what I'm doing is matching the developmental needs of my kids. So I'm interested in how mindful parenting sort of connects to those behavioral principles that I kind of live by. That sounds great. Yeah. And I'm also curious so, about the research that's out there in terms of the effectiveness of some of these mindful parenting approaches. What have right, you found that's in another, that, that area? Yeah, that's another good question. Um, there, there's been some research. Um, the most recent meta-analysis was from 2016, and it included seven randomized control trials. Um, so pretty, you know, kind of moderate to mediocre quality um, but there were some findings that were consistent across these studies, and that are those are that um, parents who participate in mindful parenting programs, um, that it reduces parental stress, increases their emotional awareness of their kids, it increases their awareness of emotions in their kids, and it can help to reduce children's um, kind of behavior problems, especially at younger ages. Um, so I think that, you know, all of these studies are involving 
families or parents who are in a treatment setting. Mm. So there hasn't been much done to kind of just look more generally at how how this kind of the approach to parenting works across um, different types of, you know, the sort of more general settings mm-hmm. in the public. Um, and, you know, and what you tend to find in the um, sort of public arena on mindful parenting um, is that people are sort of attracted to what they're interested in, right? You say the word mindfulness, and if somebody's interested in mindfulness, then they're interested in mindful parenting. But it doesn't um, often reach beyond the people who are sort of already interested in mindfulness. So there's also some work that needs to be done on um, kind of bringing this into the fold of what's, you know, what's kind of like the common language that we use in parenting. And there are a couple of um, pretty large studies that are trying to do this. Um, One is called the Mindfulness Enhanced Strengthening Families Program, and that's one that's being done in the United States. And then um, another one is called Tuning Into Kids, and that's emotion-focused parenting, and that's being done in Australia. And these are really like national programs that are trying to test out whether this is effective. So Mm -hmm. Definitely more to come. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious about how, um, maybe we can just start with the definition of mindfulness and how mindfulness is defined in the context of parenting. Yeah, yeah. Um, So in mindfulness, or in mindful parenting, children's emotional developmental needs are really seen as primary. That's the building blocks for all of the other goals that we have as parents and for our children. And as you and Debbie talked about in your um, in our episode on children's emotions, you know, emotional development really starts in children in infancy and continues throughout early adulthood. And it's associated with all kinds of outcomes in terms of social, moral, academic outcomes. Similar to just general mindfulness programs, the, the qualities that mindful parenting is trying to engender is having present-centered attention and awareness, using intention and purposefulness um, in what your what approach you're taking to interacting with your child, and then your attitude um, sort of toward the experience, that you're approaching parenting with interest and curiosity and non-judgmentalness and compassion and all of these kind of ways of sort of remaining open to the experience rather than trying to kind of what they call like um, sort of parent-driven goals rather than they they talk about parent-centered goals versus child-centered goals versus relationship-centered goals. And mindful parenting is really trying to aim for those relationship-centered goals. Mm -hmm. Like the interaction between you and your kid is really what is um, like – sort of transformative in teaching the kid about emotions. Right, right. And in in talking about that, those core qualities of mindfulness, it makes me just think about the implications of um, technology and how that downstream is going to affect sort of our parenting and our, in our relationships. So in so many, so many times now when I'm like at the library with my with my child and I'm on the floor, you know, playing trains or whatever and so many parents are sitting in chairs on their phone while their child 
plays trains <laughs> and, yeah. you know, in this, you know, or at the park or, you know, wherever. And if we're thinking about these qualities of being present centered and giving your attention and awareness and having purposefulness, how do we also really put intention, like intention around attention, like, and, and being present. And right. um, so I'm sure some of the parenting dimensions that you talk about today will address some of that, but just makes yeah. me think about um, how, yeah. how we're interacting There's with our kids. Yeah. yeah, there's lots of distractions these mm-hmm. days for both the parents and the kids. Yeah. And um, and absolutely, you know, mindful parenting does not sort of drive um, values, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's really not, it's not a, it's not recommending like these should be your priorities with what you do you know what I mean? In terms of how much technology you allow in your house, right? Things like that, right? It's not prescriptive like that. It's more like looking at the sort of underlying process of just, if you are paying attention to what you're doing, then you have choices. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, then you're, you know, getting out of autopilot parenting or out of reactive parenting. And maybe choosing when you're going to be having a choice of when you're going to be mindful and aware and when, when you're choosing not to, it's sort of like mindful eating. If we're sitting there chewing and aware of every single bite as if it was like, you know, a full emotional experience, we're never going to finish our meals, but there's times in appropriateness to be able to really be mindful of what we're eating and present. And then, and then other times when we can just sort of eat to, you know, eat and the same thing in terms of relating with our children, there's going to be times when it's really important that we attend and are mindful and present and other times where it's okay to go and, you know, it's not, like you said, it's not a judgment call right? Um, right. that you should never be on your phone around your child, but how are you using right. your awareness and tension with your yeah. child? Yeah, absolutely. And when you describe that just now, you know, to me, it just is self-regulation, yeah. right? I mean, it's like if you are, have the capacity or you're intending to pay attention to what you're doing and you have the capacity to um, notice and um, tolerate or work on reducing an intense emotion, um, then you're just better equipped to be able to see the choices in front of you. And that's what you want to be, you know, sort of um, communicating to your kid and teaching your kid. And so mindful parenting is really about kind of embodying what you want to pass along to your kid, which is that capacity to be in the moment with what's happening and, you know, and not, not flip into avoidance or, um, escalating or, you know, all of those things that, um, or even just, you know, even just, uh, indifference. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about the, mindful parenting dimensions that the five mindful parenting dimensions for effective parenting behaviors that you've um, identified? Yeah. So the first one is listening with full attention and starting in infancy. This really looks like just paying attention to nonverbal and then eventually verbal cues that your kid needs something and what is it? And obviously in infancy and young toddlers, that's a guessing game. Um, So being able to self-regulate in the face of, I don't know what my kid needs, is really, really helpful for um, passing along self-regulation to your kid. And as they get older, being able to 
um, really listen to what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes, in addition, nonverbal things, especially for adolescents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just the act of listening, there's so many books out there now about how to listen to your kids so that they'll talk. Mm-hmm. And, um, and mindfulness is kind of one, you know, one avenue to that. And it really has been shown that, um, that it increases communication and disclosure, especially in teens. And, um, and then it kind of changes also the parents, um, uh, tendency to sort of, um, slip into kind of the automatic reactions that they might have to their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so paying more attention to what what is actually in front of me rather than what am I worried is in front of me or the, that kind of that kind of thing. So right, or a you, projection of the future of what will happen if if yeah this if you act like or, this, or, yeah, yeah. If you act like this yeah. yeah. Well, when you when you're talking about listening with full intention, it really makes me think about um, sort of Kelly Wilson, the ACT therapist and co-founder, has talked about seeing people as sunsets versus seeing people as math problems. And I think that we can take that approach with our children as well. We could either see them as a sunset, which has many colors and your full experience of viewing a sunset is very different than turning your sunset into a math problem, like looking at the physics of how the rays of light get refracted. And, you know, once we get entangled in the problem and seeing our child as a problem, we miss out on the child. And our children are very much like sunsets over sort of different developmental times in their life. So you, what feels like eons is actually short. Um, and so, our, you know, our experience of a child as a toddler is going to be different than our experience as our, of a child as an adolescent. And if we can actually approach it as something to just be with and observe and start at that place of observing, it can be really helpful mm-hmm. to drop sort of the rope around trying to control or change or have sort of some mindsets around what our child is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. I think in particular with adolescents, that's one of the first pieces of advice that I give to parents if I'm working with parents with adolescents is you're missing out on the sunset of your child. You're getting so entangled by the behavior and the things that you don't like or the conflicts that, that we're not able to see anymore and you're not able to hear anymore. So what if we were just to pause and see them as a sunset? And I really liked, you know, I like the idea of seeing them as our children as sunsets also when and and kind of commenting on your experience of them and verbalizing that um, as a way of them also knowing that you are with them and present with them. So mm-hmm. there's, a, um, there's a book that I really enjoyed reading called um, The Conscious Parent. And in the book, um, Shefali Tasberry says she she talks about practicing delight in your child and the way that you would delight in a in a sunset or be present with a sunset. And she says, when they're they are resting and you tell them how appreciated they are, they are sitting and you tell them how happy you are to sit with them. They are walking in the house and you stop them and say, Thank you for being in my life. They hold your hand and you tell them how much you love to hold theirs. They wake up in the morning and you write them a letter saying how blessed you are to get and see to see them the first thing in the day. And that's sort of the the process of 
it's a, it's a listening, but it's just a being with and making a commentary about being with our children. And if you do that in in the good things, you can also do that in the hard in the hard times, which mm-hmm. you know would be. Say you have an adolescent who's slamming the door on you and, and going into the other room, you could make the same type of commentary. When you do that, I feel left out and I'm wondering what you're feeling in there because I noticed mm-hmm. that the door was slammed. So, mm-hmm. and I really want to hear what your experience is. Mm-hmm. So, sunsets, not math problems. Yeah. And then, you know, the mindfulness part about your attitude in that interaction just to remember that you just have to wait right that you can make that comment and I think like what I feel so so often is that I have a little boy who you know sometimes I'll say something and it's just dead silent (laughs) just like how was your day hello (laughs) are you there (laughs) and um and I have to be really careful not to push, you know, because to remember that that's a boundary, right? Mm-hmm. That I don't get to force them to speak. Yeah. And um, yeah, and it, even if it's good stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Exactly. So the next, um, the next process that I wanted to bring up is called, I guess this is a good segue, non-judgmental acceptance of self and child. So um So this is really what we're talking about with kind of labeling what's going on and um, and kind of trusting that what your kid is going to sort of bring back to the table is um, is 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 what they're capable of. And it's good enough and you don't need to push for um, it to be what you want it to be or what your expectations is. Um, so this doesn't mean that you just relinquish responsibility or you let your kid run crazy and do and say whatever they want to do and you just label it and name it and say, oh, how lovely. Um, um, but to really be present with what's going on and have clear awareness and attention um, helps you to have a better understanding of what actually is happening and see your part and their part. So the practice that I was thinking about when you were talking about non-judgmental acceptance of self and child is one that I sort of defined as moving from top-down parenting to inside-out parenting. And when I think about top-down parenting, it's one of which involves some degree of dominance or control or it's really kind of more run by our ego selves and what we want our children to look like to others, what our expectations are for children, um, our stories about how they should be or how we should be as parents. So it's very much sort of a top-down, I know what's right for you um, approach versus inside-out parenting is maybe taking less of a, and and the idea of judgment is sort of that you're putting a category or label on something. So stepping out of judgment and into listening to what's happening inside for you, but also what's happening inside for our children. Um, In that book, The Conscious Parent, Tasberry also um, writes, parenting has the potential to lead you to the discovery of your own true being. So Mm -hmm. this idea that Parenting can actually, the practice of parenting 
can be one of finding some wisdom within you and also the opportunity to hear and, and, and learn the wisdom of your child. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about um, with, with, with my children really early on, we took the, um, I think it's a Montessori approach of having all real stuff. Like we never had, well, never. Yeah, we pretty much never had glass, uh, uh, plastic glasses with our children. Mm. We always Mm -hmm. gave them like real glasses and had real flowers on the table and, you know, things like that. And part of the rationale behind that is that a child can learn through their experience of the glass and learning how to, where to put the glass. And we had a lot of broken glasses. I bought a Mm -hmm. lot of glasses from Ikea. Um, Uh (laughs) And it's not that, okay, so then we have the broken glass. So then we have to do is we have to clean up the glass. Everyone's, we got to put shoes on everyone, you know? So there was a direct experience with the real world by having glasses and glasses breaking. And and my children are now very aware of glass and what to do with how to put a glass on on the table. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. protecting them or, or really telling them that they need to put the glass here. It was them learning through some, some degree of experience with the real world Mm -hmm. and trusting their own wisdom around Mm -hmm. that. And Mm -hmm. likewise with, with, you know, as they've gotten older, I have an older child who's now in like a nature school, a wilderness program after school one day a week. And in that wilderness program, when he first started, he started in the winter and it's rain or shine. So the kids go out in the rain into, into the wilderness. They literally drive them into the wilderness and they come back sopping wet in the dark. And mm-hmm. there's also in there a wisdom in the child of how to take, to learn to take care of themselves in the rain. And in, you know, take off their shoes if they get, you know, and walk through things barefoot or, you know, climb trees or find shelter. And that's also not, it's trusting the, the wisdom of the child and learn them learning from their own inside out and giving them space to do that. Yeah. I really like that. Definitely. Trusting your kid to, um, you know, developmentally appropriate tasks is Mm -hmm. something that really teaches emotional competence, right? You've got to be able to put them in even a challenging situation where something could go wrong and, um, and trust that they're going to be able to figure it out. It reminds me of this one, um, I listened to some parenting expert, I can't remember who it was, but he was surveying, um, a, uh, a group that he was lecturing and he had everybody answer the question of tell me your favorite childhood memory or something. And then the next question was, um, where your parents there are not. Mm. And predominantly everybody's memories, their favorite memories from childhood were without their parents. <laughs> And as parents, right, we're always like, we want to be a part of all the fun stuff that happens. And, and it's actually like kids remembering times where they were independent and maybe even had some sort of like adversity and had to figure it out and were successful on their own. Um, That really is transformative, especially Mm -hmm. around, you know, this, like our older boys right now, seven, eight years old, they really want to be out there kind of figuring out things for themselves and kind of creating like you're doing with this um, nature learning opportunities for him to really be autonomous and go out there and explore. Mm-hmm. And, and how, how can we create a, a container for exploration that is safe, 
you know, that, yeah. that, that there's a degree of they're not going to die, <laughs> but, but then has enough room for them to learn through their own inside out. Right, and right. that's part of that, you know, it's also, it's, it's this constant toggling, I think, back and forth um, right. between containment, but then also allowing for exploration. And yeah. where judgment and, um, gets, judgment just gets in the way of all of it, because we can't, we can't listen when we're judging um, yeah. really to our internal selves. Right. Yeah. yeah. So how about number three? So the third one is emotional awareness of self and child. And um, by practicing this part of mindful parenting, the idea is that um, all aspects of parenting are influenced by both negative and positive affect. And the more intense that your emotions are, the more likely they are to kind of trigger these automatic reactions um, and behaviors that really undermine parenting, what, what you're going for. Mm-hmm. And what we're going for in mindful parenting, again, is emotional competence and kind of this idea that we're talking about with kids being able to take on developmentally appropriate responsibility for their behavior and their emotion. And there's always this tendency, right, because we want to take care of our kids, um, to want to just step in and do that for them, right? Mm-hmm. Calm down. It's okay. You're going to be fine. But the reality is kids get their feelings hurt all the time. Life is hard in elementary school, middle school, high school. And, um, you know, they're going to get rejected by their friends. They're not going to get an A. They're going to lose. They're going to fail a test and um, and get their hearts broken, right? Mm-hmm. Like whatever that looks like. And, um, and it takes real awareness for ourselves to recognize like that's their experience and to allow them to have their experience without trying to change it for them. So you can help them label it like, oh, that's really hurtful. Oh, you feel really sad. Oh, God, that must have been really hard. Um, But not to jump in and be like, well, you know, make an excuse for them or tell them that that was wrong, that, that, you know what I mean? That, Mm -hmm. that, right. And, um, you'll, you know, you'll do better next time and kind of over praising, um, uh, failure, right. Like, or giving them excuses for failure, like really allowing them to experience the full, um, breadth of their emotional reaction to something that's hard. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, as developmentally appropriate. And I think like you, you and I were talking about conflict resolution between kids and how that changes over time, right? When they're four and five, maybe what's your, what was your example of that? Well, with, with conflict resolution, I think, you know, it's interesting because I think the emotional awareness is some of your internal emotional awareness is the foundation of conflict resolution. So early on children learning how to identify their own emotional state right of what's happening for them and be aware of that and then the next step that develops is this whole um, concept of perspective taking and being able to get into the other person's shoes and so with um with conflict resolution i really like uh the approach of when children are in a conflict with each other starting with having them pause and have a reflection of what's happening in their own bodies and then 
one child, the first child being able to state what they are feeling and what happened, and then the second child being able to reflect accurately back to the first child what they heard. So this is a really important part if we go back to, if you have been listening with full attention to your child, number one, mm -hmm. in the mindful parenting dimension, and you've mm -hmm. been modeling that to your child from early on, what I'm hearing your feeling is, or what I'm noticing mm -hmm. in your body is, or whatever, mm -hmm. then your child miraculously will maybe hopefully have the skill set to be able to listen to another child that's been hurt by them or in a conflict and be able to reflect that back. So step mm -hmm. one is they get in their own bodies. Step two is one child shares how they're feeling and the other child reflects back what they hear. And then we get to check in and say, is that accurate? Did I hear, you know, did I hear you right? And the first child gets to keep explaining until the second child understands. This is where it gets a yeah. little challenging because the second child <laughs> wants to share their side. So we, we, we do that. And then, then the, um, second child gets an opportunity to share their side and we do the same thing and we've been working on this with our kids so I have my kids are four and seven now so my four-year-olds can do this mm. with a lot of structuring and scaffolding but yeah. um yeah. but but it really is helpful because we could even just stop there and once we've been heard as we know this from our own yeah. relationships it means a lot to be heard Mm -hmm. Then, once we've, both sides have been heard, we move into the last step, which is how can we work together to solve this problem? And really putting the solution of the problem in the children's hands. Because mm -hmm. what you'll find is that they come up with the most creative ideas. So the parent usually has an idea of how to solve the child's pro problem from the very start. Oh, just give him the toy back. Or I know, I can give, I can, I have another toy just like this in the other room. Or, you know, mm -hmm. we, we have some idea of how we can make everyone happy. Mm -hmm. And more often than not, if we allow the conflict resolution to be a mindful um, interaction between the two children, the two children will come up with some totally new solution that's way more creative than what the parent was thinking about yeah uh, but it's getting it's working through that process that the parent is supporting the children in but not directing mm -hmm. not directing mm -hmm. say i'm sorry not directing right. give it back not directing any of that trusting that your children actually have some conflict resolution skills and that yeah. we even know that this is isn't you know little babies have empathy you know, so right. we, you know, some of the research on that, but, um, it's a really fascinating, um, approach to helping. And it, then if these little kids can go on to be the leaders of our country, we'll be in good shape. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. You know, <laughs> or yeah. at least, you know, in a, in a traffic accident with you in the future, you would want yeah. to have that child there. Yeah. So that what you're describing right now is that in order to take on that um, that role of being able to move back and forth between my perspective and your perspective and how do we work together um, to come up with some um, solution really requires self-regulation. Mm -hmm. So to me, you know, almost as we talk about this, I just feel like mindful parenting is teaching self-regulation, right? It's just, and there's lots of parenting um, strategies and mm -hmm. schools of thought out there, which essentially boil down to this, right? That you, um, you as a parent have to be able to tolerate your kids' displays of intense emotion. Yeah. 
and really, really for yourself, remain as neutral as you can. Mm -hmm. And this is, I mean, this for me and working with my clients, I think this is often the most difficult thing. It's conceptually easy to understand, but to actually do it, um, you know, as parents, right, we don't get to just sort of like walk in and like the scene begins and um, it's like we've done this four or 500 times with our kids, right? Like you have a, you know, maybe sometimes parents that I see, you know, they, they come in and they have a very, um, a very intense kid, right? Or a very stubborn kid or a very emotionally de demonstrative or sensitive or whatever it is, but they have some story, right? Mm -hmm. About how their kid is. And just that sets you up to have a reaction, right? Just, it evokes a patterned reaction for yourself. Mm -hmm. So, um, so self-regulation is being able to label what's going on, to talk about what's going on, and that in and of itself promotes self-regulation. Um, but in a nutshell, just stop, be present, and be calm when your kid is having whatever emotional explosion or whatever is happening. Um, that is really how you translate um, your, that's how you model, I guess, for your kid. Mm -hmm. um, and... Um, yeah. So I love that the stop, be present and be calm. And I really think for me, when I'm being the best mother, I'm being a calm mother. <laughs> like the definition for me of a good mom in my world is a calm mom. And mm -hmm. I would say that some of what you're talking about in terms of being able to tolerate um, our children's emotional displays or us being able to regulate ourselves that's the nature of all interpersonal relationships, you know, mm -hmm. in our relationships with our partners and our relationships with our bosses and our relationship with our clients. If we can work on that part, then we can be just so much more effective. Um, yeah. And, and the reason why is because of the preventing escalation, yeah. right? So, and I, ha I think that that's like the key reminder here. It's not that you're just trying to not react. Right. The goal is that you really want your kid to be able to calm themselves down. And the thing that the thing that's most not going to help with that is you having an even bigger reaction. Right. right? And that's just that builds and builds and builds on itself. And it and it makes it really difficult for either person to to self-regulate. Mm -hmm. um, so especially yeah. with those children who are so sensitive to our nonverbal cues and our voice tone and you know we can be mm -hmm. saying everything that we you know but be saying it in a tone that our children are hearing nothing none of the words but only the tone of our voice and right. responding to that or only the yeah. the, the pose of our body mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so one of the things that we introduced to our home um, a while back to help with this stop be present be calm uh, was a mindfulness bell and mm -hmm. We, we introduced it um, probably when my, my littlest was, was like, he wasn't even, he was still crawling around. And what the idea was is that my partner and I had traveled to um, Plum Village where um, Thich Nhat Hanh's monastery is before, oh, wow. before we had been married. And 
one of the things that I remember sort of viscerally about my experience there was that the bells ring throughout your day. And every time a bell rings, you pause and you get into your body and you take some mindful breaths. And because that was happening throughout our day, it naturally translated into us just being more present. It's sort of like you weren't just doing, you weren't just meditating for 30 minutes in the morning and then going back to being in your head the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. You were you were in your body and doing these, these check-ins with yourself, these mindfulness check-ins throughout your day. And so what was nice about the mindfulness bell is that we introduced it as anyone can ring the bell and it's in a little corner where all you know all children can access it and when the bell is rung we all as a family pause and we take a breath and we just get back to ourselves so whether it's it's like say things are just getting really out of hand and chaotic and we need to ring the bell or maybe we need to just ring the bell because it's kind of fun to ring the bell <laughs> you know mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. have complete control over my family and watch them stop and breathe <laughs> that was for a while we did that um uh-huh. or also bringing the bell to our family meetings and you know starting our family meeting with a bell ringing to become mindful and present with each other but having some kind of ritual or practice that reminds us to come back to ourselves and stop and be present and be calm and i think that our children um you know, they, they naturally get that when we are doing a lot of holding and hugging and breathing with them when they're really, really tiny. But over time, we, we lose connection with our breath and our bodies, and we need mm. reminders. So um, that, that is one of them. Mm. Yeah. Wow, I'm going to try that. It's super I think fun. that that's, um, yeah, yeah. As you were talking about conflict resolution, so I have a seven-year-old and a He's 20 months, so just barely, you know, learning words, but a lot of frustration and not being able to get everybody to understand what he, you know, what he yeah. wants. And so there's a lot of yelling, and yeah. um, and that can, as I'm sure you have experienced, that can really escalate with two little kids. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really curious what his reaction would be to a bell, yeah. right? I mean, and he wants to do everything that his big brother does. So if I can get big brother to respond by sitting and have, or, you know, like calm, yeah. take a breath, then he'll do it. Right. Yeah. He just is a little sponge. Um, so I'm going to try that. Thank yeah. you for that mm-hmm. idea. The very last, um, the very last process that I want to talk about, um, we probably don't need to spend too much time on because we talk about this, I think in every episode <laughs> and that's compassion for self and for your child. Um, and so in mindfulness, um, the, the idea is that parents who believe that they are competent and effective interact with their kids in ways that promote competence in their kids. Mm. Um, and parents, you know, we are all our own harshest critics. And um, when we focus on what's not going well, what we, how we messed up today, um, you know, our pick, our kids pick up on that um, that perspective, right? That sort of filter of, oh, everything, you know, 95% of things might have gone well today, but that one thing, right. you know, and and so being mindful that as you're, you know, maybe with your best intention to improve your parenting, 
um, to do that in a compassionate and gentle way, mm-hmm. in one way, in a way that you would want your kid to to pick up from you and model. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and I think that you know that self compassion generates also compassion for others in terms of some of that research and one of the um, the practice that I wanted to share around self-compassion is a nighttime ritual that I've been doing uh, with my children. We have like sort of a handful, like if you were the child of Diana, <laughs> you're like having to do all these exercises all the time, um, mindfulness exercises, but we have a handful of things that we do in the evening and one of them is um, a meta meditation. And so we start with, um, so I do this with, with both children, usually individually, and we start with thinking about ourselves, and my, my littlest one calls this wonderful things. And mm. we say, I usually pick like three, and say, may I be kind to myself, may I be kind to others, may I be at peace, may I rest in my body, um, may I trust myself. Maybe those would be a few that I would say. And so I would say it and then let him say it to himself. May I be kind to myself and others. May I be at peace. May I rest. May I trust my body. And then we pick somebody that we love out there. And sometimes it's my brother. So may my brother be kind to himself and others. May my brother trust himself. May my brother rest. Um, May my brother be at peace. And then sometimes it's someone really far away like grandma. May grandma be kind to herself and others. May grandma rest. May grandma be at peace. And we imagine them out there and sending them love and peaceful messages. And then we do it for the whole earth. So we do it for everyone out there, all Mm -hmm. beings and plants and animals and people on our earth and, and say, may we all be kind to ourselves and others. May we all rest peacefully. May we all be at peace. May we all trust ourselves. And it's a really nice practice of starting with the how we relate to ourselves and then how we can also hold that kind compassion to other and generating those those feelings that if we can generate those feelings sometimes more easily for others than ourselves, but also Mm -hmm. having the idea that I can hold myself with the same kind of kindness and love that I would hold grandma or I can hold the whole world with that. Mm. Um, Also maybe picking people if someone was sick from school the day, we might do them or someone had a Mm. poison oak rash, (laughs) 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 maybe heal quickly, you know, Um, but these, the practice of, um, of self-compassion and compassion to other. And I, I think that again, it's, it's these, it's sort of like, that's sort of the exercise, right? But then how would we apply that in, you know, in our daily lives. And, and I think it can translate into mm. maybe how we respond to ourselves when we're having a hard time or how our children's res- response to themselves when they're having a hard time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like an anchor. Yeah. Like I remember, yeah, that calm time of being in bed and settled and, um, you know, we, I think we often try to provide that even for clients who come in, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the time that they have in the therapy room sometimes is an anchor for how they want to be for the rest of their day and um, kind of generalize that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So I love all of these practices that you have shared with us today, Diana, and I look forward, especially the bell and definitely the nighttime um, meta. That sounds 
Wonderful. And maybe on our website, we can just outline the five mindful parenting dimensions that you mentioned, which were listening with full attention, non-judgmental acceptance of self and child, emotional awareness of self and child, self-regulation in the parenting relationship, and then compassion for self and child. So we'll put those, list those five on our website as well as some resources if you want to read more about how to do them. And um, I'll also list the five practices that, that we talked about in the context of those dimensions. Awesome. That sounds wonderful, Diana. Well, it was really great to talk with you today about um, parenting with awareness. And I look forward to our next episode. Yes, I'm going to go be so nice to my children. <laughs> yeah, me too. We have definitely. I'm going to listen very to regulated. Them. I feel very regulated too. Okay. Have a good, good rest right. of your afternoon. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes. You can also find us at www.offtheclockpsych.com. That's offtheclockpsych.com. Music by John Goo and Susie Stevens.